Hi, everybody, and welcome to tonight's call. We have a very, very special guest tonight. This man is a legend in the plant-based world, and I have not been this nervous about interviewing anyone since I think I've been on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and I've been prepping for this all day. We have more questions for this guest than we have for anybody so far. Don't know if we'll get to all of them. Now, unless you've crawled out from under a rock, this man needs no introduction. But in case you're new to plant-based eating, my guest tonight is Dr. John McDougall. He is the founder of McDougall Health Center in Santa Rosa, California, where along with his wonderful wife, Mary, runs these amazing residential programs. He does travel adventure vacations and three-day advanced study weekends and he is the author of numerous best-selling books like The Starch Solution and my personal favorite, which is called The McDougal Program for Maximum Weight Loss, which is the reason that I am now a skinny bitch instead of just a regular bitch. He has starred in his own TV show, radio show. He's testified before Congress. He's written bills that have been put into law. I mean, he is the most dynamic, entertaining speaker you will ever hear, and I'm just so thrilled to have him. Please welcome Dr. John McDougal. All right. Okay, AJ. Okay. Now you, so, now you made it. You made it impossible for anybody to live up to that introduction. Oh no, no. I I know you will. Now listen, just don't worry. You can t you can talk about anything you want. However, we do have lots of questions. I don't think we'll get to all of them. So what uh, I've uh, done. Oh, go ahead. About Ebola. You want to talk about Ebola? Believe it or not, Dr. McDougall, that was only the second most popular question. Cause what really? I Gee, you know, I just, I just got off the phone. Uh, the, uh, you know, I was watching a little TV news show about it. Another animal transmitted disease. Ooh. You know, it's a virus that has a r reservoir in animals. They say I was just, you know, as people, they call it bush meat. I don't know what a bush meat is, but mm. it's something they eat in Africa that serves as a reservoir for Ebola. Again, you know, all these infectious disease problems that people, or a lot of them that people worry about, have an animal origin, animal reserve you know, wow. in the foods people eat. But Ebola, it's just, you can always make a topic out of, uh, out of well, food. Well, people did ask what you felt about Ebola, and if they did create a vaccine, would you promote it and take it yourself? That was one of the questions we got over and over. Interesting. That's an interesting question. One, unfortunately, I haven't had to think about much. Probably, if it was effective... Uh, AJ, you know, I am a, a traditional doctor. I'm mm -hmm. not a, an alternative do medicine doctor or, you know, a holistic doctor in the way some people may think about it. I'm a general doctor, and all my children and grandchildren have been fully vaccinated. And, and I say that with some reservation when you ask me whether or not I would uh, take a, an Ebola vaccine. It depends on how effective it was. <clears throat> with with uh, all that positive endorsement for vaccines for my kids and grandkids. In fact, I would even give them a, uh, a smallpox vaccine if it was available. Uh, I don't myself, and I'm not an expert on vaccines, so I should probably just stop right there, but I can tell you myself, I've been foregoing the flu vaccines for the last several years because they haven't made a big impression on me. That's so Ebola would have to fall into the category of smallpox or diphtheria or tetanus or polio, things that I've really seen. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I haven't seen smallpox, but I've seen the other diseases as a doctor. And so I'd have to fall into that category of a real threat and a real solution. And so far, flu vaccines for me, at least in my observation as a person, not a professional now, but just my personal observation, I haven't been that impressed with flu. So Ebola would have to be a lot better than the flu vaccines. 
Well, that's interesting, Dr. McDougall, because there were a few people that asked if you yourself uh, took the flu vaccine and gave it to your family. Not, not the flu, but that's the only exception for me personally. Again, not, I'm not an expert on vaccines, so when we talk about food, you can quote me. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, when it comes to uh, vaccination, I can just tell you I, how I personally reacted the last few years. Although all the kids and grandkids have gotten all the other immunizations that are worthwhile. Great. Well, and that surprises a lot of people, AJ, because they think, oh, boy, he's into food, so he's probably wow. whatever. Well, that's good to know. It's like McDougal Unplugged, and people really want to know where you stand on these things, so thank you so much. You well, know, you know I'm not shy. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, really, AJ. I, I think I caught it from you. <laughs> that's funny because I wrote your wife tonight about possibly doing a future podcast on recipes. She goes, well, AJ, you know I'm shy. So <laughs> that's great. You know, a lot of well, instead of writing questions, said that they didn't have a question, but they had a compliment. And they said, can you please tell all of us how much we appreciate doc- all Dr. McDougall has done for us, all that he continues to do. We owe him our better health. Please tell him we love him. And we got at least 50 of those, people that didn't have questions, but that just wanted to thank you. And I do want to thank you for all you do, because you offer so much of what you do free to people. Your website, I forgot to mention, is www.drmcdougal.com. Your name, McDougal, with the doctor in front of it. And people can not only get thousands of free recipes, they can sign up for your incredible newsletter that you send every month with new recipes and articles that you write. And and there's an interactive board. And so much now, people have to pay subscriptions to get recipes and to get interaction with other like-minded people. And you do this all for free. And I just want to say thank you. Well, thanks, AJ. And besides that, if I don't have to uh, if you won't accuse me of boasting, I think our website is pretty darn good. Oh, it, it, I love. In, in addition to it being free, I would put it up there in competition <clears throat> with for pay websites of any particular type of business. Uh, and I have my daughter to thank for thanks for that. She she right. took over the website about right. about two I, years ago and decided to really give it some youth. I don't know if you know this, but your daughter Heather and I have the same birthday, March twenty second. Isn't that something? Yep. <laughs> so you don't have to boast because I will boast for you. And I forgot to mention in your introduction that, you know, you've been doing this for over 40 years and that every year you get trimmer, fitter, and better looking. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that, you know, that happens to be the way I have to live. I have to suggest that to people. And I also have to qualify by telling them, AJ, as you well know, it's because I take better care of myself every year. Right, right. You know, I'm, well, yet to, I'm yet to reach perfection. I'll tell you, one of my <clears throat> landmarks, though, I do have to brag a little bit, is my son was uh, was uh, in Santa Rosa for our Whole Foods program that we ran last week, and we got an afternoon off together, and we went out to the Pacific Ocean, and he's a kite surfer, oh. and we had a chance to spend the afternoon together, he kite surfing and me windsurfing, and you know what? As long as I can do that, yeah, with my with my children, then I think it's worth eating well and you know hoping the next day is a good day. Yep. Yep. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the most controversial question first, okay? Because okay. this is the first time that we've had a guest where a medical doctor wrote in. So right. here we go. And this doctor is a pediatrician, and he says, "Tell Doctor McDougal that he's wrong." <laughs> about it. Well, you want to? He won't be the first one to say that I was wrong, <laughs> but he may he may be the first one I haven't contested with about right. it. Go well, ahead. Well, well, let me tell you what he said. You're wrong about. It. He says. He's, you know, because he says he admires you, you know, blah, blah, blah. He says, but he's wrong about a small amount of dietary oil being a far bigger threat than sugar in kids' diets. Sugar is poison for kids. So 
Well, what do you think about that? Well, I wouldn't take the stand I do if I didn't think it was true. Right. I have even done a, one of my newsletters a couple of years ago. I did one that said I would rather feed my children Coca-Cola than cow's milk. Well, yes, I would, and I still feel well, that way. Mm-hmm. My grandchildren, I'd rather give them Coca-Cola than cow's milk. So maybe yeah. that addresses exactly the man's question, but maybe not. Maybe he's talking about a little bit of vegetable oil versus right. a little bit of sugar. You know, whatever. Neither are health food. Right. The point is, is that we have an entire campaign out there against sugar, which I think is misplaced. I think mm-hmm. it's a detraction from eating all the animals and the oil, which is really making people sick. In fact, as you well know, AJ, uh, in the Dr. McDougall's Color Picture book on food poisoning, I made it a very clear point that food poison was animal foods and vegetable oils. I didn't say it was animal foods, vegetable oils, salt, and sugar, and spice, which I could have, but I don't believe that to be true. I think uh, salt, sugar, and spice can be used with great pleasure at a little risk. Now, where's the great pleasure in olive oil? I don't find that very tasty. Right. I don't. But, I know some people do. They think olive oil, but I bet yeah. you I couldn't get you to, uh, well, you know, you may give me the same analogy with sugar, but yeah. I don't think it really adds to oatmeal to put olive oil on it, but it would oh. add to put a little brown sugar on it. Sure. Anyway, that's the point of view I've taken is that not only is oil more toxic toxic than sugar, well, first of all, it's, it's uh In terms of calories, it's easily worn, whereas sugar is not going to be worn by the kids with any ease at all Mm -hmm. because sugar isn't converted to fat by the human body with any ease at all. So, you know, I I mean, I could take the the argument from the pediatrician from many different points of view. Mm -hmm. Oil is much more fattening. Uh, Oil is far more cancer-promoting. Oil has pharmacologic effects depending on what kind of oil it is, like it could be blood clotting like saturated oils are, or it could be blood thinning and cause bleeding, like polyunsaturated oils are, huh? suppresses the immune system. Yeah, I think I think I would go with, I still would go with the oil. But right. hey, folks, right. when you hear me say that, don't think that Dr. McDougall is saying that sugar is health food. Right. Not. Rots teeth, you know, it's empty calories, but it goes a long way to getting the kids to eat their oatmeal. Sure. You know, you know, last week we had Howard Lyman, and he had said that when he gave up cheese, it was actually harder for him than giving up smoking. And I understand that a lot of people have that thing with dairy, and it's very addictive. That never was my thing. I'm fortunate to be allergic to milk. But what I don't understand, because sugar is pleasurable, but I agree with you. Like, oil is disgusting. I mean, unless you do something with it. Where did our love affair with oil begin? When I researched it, it said that it was used to be a prize that they gave in the Olympic Games that people actually didn't put in their mouth, but they used to adorn their body. And and when did we get this love affair with oil in this country? Well, people have always sought calories, AJ. You know, there's, mm-hmm. uh, people have been on the verge of starvation, and oil certainly is a reservoir of calories. So from that point of view, it's been desirable. I don't know why oil has been, you know, I don't know the history of why oil has been, become so popular. We're going to do a um, – you weren't at the at the uh, Los Angeles uh, Fed Source weekend last weekend, were you? I wasn't. I was actually speaking in Chicago. I, oh, I missed it. I'm so we sorry. Had, we had such a, such an interesting time. I was there in Los Angeles with uh, Sabrina and Jeff Nelson, and their twin daughters were there, twenty year old twin daughters, and they told about they told this story and they told it publicly. We're going to put it out as a Star McDougaller in a um, 
oh, I don't know, it'll probably come out within the month. But these two twin teenage daughters, age 20, who work as models, uh, they started developing severe teenage acne. And finally, got they got the, and they showed their they showed their before pictures uh, to the entire audience of about 300 people last uh, last week in Los Angeles, and uh, it was it was really it was I, I, everybody felt for them. Their complexions were so broken out, so they couldn't get any work, and they decided to change their diet. And what they did is the main thing: it wasn't give up sugar, but it was give up the oils that they were eating. <clears throat> Or in various prepared foods and sure. oils and peanut butter and things like that. Uh, it's the oil that gives people the greasy skin, not sugar. Right. Uh-huh. It's the oil that people wear so readily under their skin, not sugar. Yeah. But sugar's not it. You need to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you seem to know this before everybody else because you've been saying, I love your McDougalisms, by the way, like like people are always looking for good news about their bad habits. And my favorite, which I've actually seen printed on T-shirts, is the fat you eat is the fat you wear. You seem to yeah. know this before anybody. I, I You know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to claim originality, but okay. uh, that is one of the things that I'd like. You know, you can put that on my epitaph. <laughs> uh, you, you can you can. <laughs> If anybody writes a word about me afterwards, you can use yeah. those two quotes. I think they're pr- pretty closely associated with and I, I uh, love, what I believe. And, and, and we quote you all the time. So one of the questions we got over and over again has to do with thyroid disease, specifically thyroiditis in the form of yeah. hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. Now, I don't know if you found this to be true. I had a long discussion with Dr. Matt Letterman about this, but a lot of vegans seem to feel that they're invincible, that they're bulletproof of not only against things like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, foodborne illnesses, but that if you're vegan, then therefore you should never get sick and you should never take medicine. There seems to be a lot of hypothyroidism going around and the questions range from, is it safe to eat cruciferous vegetables if you're taking thyroid supplementation? Is it possible to reverse hypothyroidism once you're on medication? Are there natural remedies? So if you could just please talk a little bit about thyroid disease. You know, I will talk about talk about thyroid, but try and get me back to this idea that vegans are healthy. Right. I, I would like to address that because sure. it does come up uh, come up Absolutely. a lot. We can talk about how uh, some well-known vegans uh, have gotten sick and they've right. gotten diseases as serious as breast cancer. Sure. And everybody believes that a vegan diet will make you immune from disease and that all sins from the past will be forgiven. But anyway, let's get to thyroid for a minute. Uh, Thyroid, hypothyroid or low thyroid, if you go to the doctor with that condition, uh, you ask the doctor, what do I have? The doctor may do a few blood tests, but generally they come back with a diagnosis of autoimmune thyroiditis or Hashimoto. It's a guy named Hashimoto, a Japanese guy back in the early 1900s described this condition, so his name got attached to it, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And what it means is you have an autoimmune disease where the body attacks the thyroid gland. And I would guess, you know, I think it's a fair estimate to say women in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, probably 20 to 30% of them have a low thyroid condition. And um, nobody really, you know, nobody identifies what the cause is. And I should stop right here and just say that it's an autoimmune disease, but you know, AJ, I probably can't stop. And I, I probably need to go on and tell you what I think might be going on as long as you realize what I'm going to say now really has no solid scientific basis in terms of thyroid itself. 
Uh, in terms of other autoimmune diseases, like where the body attacks the joints in terms of rheumatoid arthritis or juvenile rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or psoriatic arthritis, I think there's really good evidence that this is an auto, these are autoimmune diseases where the body reacts to eating animal protein, a dairy protein in particular. What happens is you eat this foreign protein, this dairy protein, and it goes into the bloodstream. The body makes antibodies against this foreign cow protein, and these antibodies don't just attack the foreign cow protein, but they also attack the pancreas and give you type 1 diabetes, attack the joints and give you inflammatory arthritis, and so on. And we have pretty good research saying that's the case, that cow milk protein, and also uh, other kinds of animal proteins, like there's a, a paper I can think about, small paper, but that identifies a uh, beef and pork protein in the kidneys uh, causing nephritis or inflammatory uh, autoimmune disease of the kidneys. So we have, we have real good evidence with many of these autoimmune diseases that it's due to eating various foreign animal proteins. Now, it's important that you think about what I just said for a minute. These are foreign proteins because they're not human. They're cows, but they're not that foreign. Uh, they're animals just like we are. In this case, what the body's immune system can do is it can identify this food protein as being foreign and make an antibody to it. But the antibody, because we're both animals, both the food and the human being are animals, the antibodies uh, seem to cross-react. It's a process called molecular mimicry. So the antibodies that are out there to attack this foreign cow protein also find similar proteins on the human tissues on its own tissues, autoimmune disease that attacks itself. Interesting. All right. Now I'm going to get to the thyroid thing, which is all made up. If foreign animal protein causes autoimmune disease, and it has to be similar but also foreign, when it comes to the thyroid gland, what you might initially think about, or at least what I imagine, is somehow the human body is coming in contact intimately with foreign thyroid glands. These glands, this, this thyroid gland tissue has to be different than human tissue, so the body makes antibodies against it, but it has to be similar enough. These foreign thyroid proteins have to be similar enough to human thyroid to cross-react and attack our own thyroid gland. Now, the question to the listeners is, how do human beings eat foreign thyroid glands? From they're eating animals. They're called hot dogs. <laughs> they're called lunch meat. They're called bologna. You see, when, when in the slaughterhouse, and this is, I'm sure, not new to any of your listeners, in the slaughterhouse, when they get done taking the prime slabs of muscle off, they take the rest of the, uh, of the body of the animal, the testicles, the vaginas, the yeah. spleen, the livers, the, you know, whatever, whatever is left over, and they grind it up and they turn it into sausage, Ugh. including the thyroid glands. Oh, boy. So I can only imagine, and believe me, I'm just making all this up, I can only imagine that what happens is people eat pig thyroid and cow thyroid glands in the form of hot dogs and salami, and those foreign thyroid proteins from cows and pigs go into their bloodstream. The body makes antibodies against these foreign thyroid proteins. But these antibodies cross-react and attack human thyroid tissue. 
and give you autoimmune thyroiditis. Even if the person's vegan, though, even I mean, because some of these questions, these people have been vegan. Yeah, quite but you know, I don't. Know. You don't know. Uh, that, that gets back to the whole vegan thing, uh, AJ. And you know, two things I have to say about the vegan thing. First of all, is we weren't always vegan. I mean, yeah. Some of my life, I could tell you stories, and I bet you and I could sit down together and talk about <laughs> times we we'd have gotten together and we'd have fought over the last pork chop. <laughs> Not you me. Know. I'm Jewish. We never. Okay, had we'd have we'd have fought over the last uh, last ribeye or whatever. You know what I mean. I get you. I was just okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, vegans weren't always vegans, first yes. of all, and right. uh, for things like, for example, breast cancer, it takes ten years on average mm-hmm. from the time breast cancer starts until it is big enough to find. So you know your sins from a decade or two or three decades ago sure. sometimes show up even if you're really good. Yeah. And you and I have been really good for a few years. But, hey, you know what, A.J.? Yeah. I'll bet you everything I own that you're going to die. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay. So, I mean, you know, (laughs) it's inevitable that hopefully that all of us are going to get older and things are going to fail, hopefully late in life and so on. But the way we took care of ourselves, sometimes when I'm when I'm not feeling at my best, I think I sit back and I think, gee, if I'd only taken if I if I'd have known I was going to live so long, I would have I taken would've... better care of myself. You know how that saying goes? Yeah, that All was right. a famous baseball player, I think, that said that. That's yeah, whatever. You get you get yeah. the point. Right, I get it. Yeah. Okay. The second thing is, is vegan to me does not necessarily mean good health. I'm sorry, right. we've talked about you and I have talked about this many times. Sure. And I'm sure the listeners have uh, heard me uh, heard my pitch on this. In fact, I even put a chapter in the Stark Solution book called The Fat Vegan. Right. There are just so many people trying hard to save the planet, trying hard to save animals, extremely important issues. And in the process, they forget about themselves, and they end up eating horrible food and getting fat and greasy and pimply and you know, promoting cancer and who knows what else. Uh, maybe my story about thyroid disease isn't really what happens. Maybe it's soy, like somebody, so many people say. I don't think so. Or wheat. Uh, I've heard wheat. Wheat. Uh, yeah, maybe wheat causes everything. I mean, after all, look at the, look at look at the guy who wrote the book Wheat Belly. It caused him to get fat. Well, <gasps> well he doesn't eat wheat, does he? But he is fat. <gasps> I mean, you know, uh, people. What, <laughs> there are all kinds of theories out there. You can blame almost. Whatever you want. People love to hear good news about their bad habits. So, right. AJ, whatever I don't like, I'm sure is what I shouldn't eat. And whatever I like, is, I'm sure, is what I should eat. You know, uh, I, I, I have developed a viewpoint which has served me personally well, Mary, myself, my family. I mean, you look at our pictures, we look okay. Yeah. It served guys- us well. It served, uh, it has served, let's see, I've probably taken care of 6,000 people. Wow. Uh, in an inpatient setting, I've probably taken care of 10,000 total. Wow. Uh, and so it, it served when I've taken the point of view that I have, right or wrong, up for debate, whatever, when I take the point of view that I have, and that is that people are being poisoned by eating animals, and I mean fishes and chickens and cows and pigs, and by eating oil, and I mean olive oil and safflower oil and so on, when I take that point of view that this is poison, and uh, when you have to stop poison, when you stop poison, you have to do something else. You got to eat. Mm-hmm. And I take the point of view that what people are supposed to be eating is is the food that 
you know, almost everybody that's walked this planet has uh, has consumed for their major source of calories, and that's starch, mm-hmm. rice, corn, potatoes, sweet potatoes. When I tell people to do that, stop the food poisons, animals and oils, and instead eat starch, rice, corn, potatoes, uh, beans, peas, and lentils, and you can throw a few vegetables and fruits in it. If you want to add a little salt and sugar, I think that would be okay. When I take that point of view, uh, two things happen. One is people get better, and mm-hmm. They stick with it because they like the food. Sure. You know, no diet is worth anything that you can't stay with. And right. You know, Mary and I have been eating this way pretty close. You know, we're we're not we're we're not perfect, but we're pretty close to perfect. Mm-hmm. We've been eating this way for a long time, maybe thirty-eight years. Wow. So your kids were raised this way. You know, our kids were. Our, in fact, our daughter, who's almost forty-one, and our son, who would be about thirty-nine. Yeah, they. They were uh, they were just tiny babies when we great when we got all this kind of put together in our own lives. So yeah, they, our kids have been raised this way. So far, all, our, our six grandkids, seven. That's seven that's fantastic. Away. And not, nobody in your family's overweight or ever has been overweight, right? Uh not no, they haven't. Not in. Uh, I mean, I used to be. I used really? Because could you talk about that? Because you know, a couple of the comments were that people think that you really hate fat people, and um, yeah. well, you know what. AJ, <laughs> I I don't look at fat people and say, I don't look at them and think they want to be that way. I, I will tell you that I don't. I I when I look at a, a overweight person, a very fat person, uh, what I think, criticize me if you want, but I think that person is going through a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty. I think life is more difficult for them than it could be. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, that's that's what I think. It's just like somebody with diabetes. I, I think you know, uh, you could you could have an easier life. You could if you could find it uh, anyway. All of life, from getting on an in, on an airplane and sitting in an airplane seat to going into the into the store and buying clothes, I think all of life, for at least everybody that I see who's significantly overweight or obese, I think it could be easier for them. Mm-hmm. I feel sorry that they don't know better. It's kind of like me looking at an alcoholic or a cigarette smoker and saying to myself, well, what I think now is they know. I mean, they know about alcohol poisoning and nicotine poisoning. They know. But there was a time, and I can remember it, and I think, A.J., you're old enough to remember, mm-hmm. when cigarette smoking was sociable. It was the thing Oh, yeah. And and you had to when you went to lunch it was a two martini lunch or you really weren't a nice sociable person. Well, nowadays we recognize those as destructive behaviors. Right. And anybody who participates, we assume, uh, is fully knowledgeable. Right. I feel the same way about people who are sick with diabetes and heart disease and constipation. And being overweight, I, I feel the same way. If they knew better, I mean really knew better, not just somebody said, hey, you know what, you're too fat, you ought to change your diet. I mean, if somebody really taught them uh, the solution to stop the food poisons and to start starches, vegetables, and fruits, and they really understood, like you had them over for dinner, AJ, uh-huh. and you served them one of your favorite starch-based meals, not just one day, but say for mm, a few weeks. Right. And they really do better. In that circumstance, if they wanted to choose bad health, I think it would be okay, better for me. I, I, could, I could see it better. Mm-hmm. If, if they mistreated their children, however, 
and made their children constipated and obese and arthritic, then that would be a, that would be similar to uh, poisoning their kids with uh, tobacco yeah, or alcohol. That's kind of what they're doing, though, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they kind of are. And, you know, the kids don't stand a chance. Uh, most adults don't stand a chance now either because they really don't know, particularly with all the nonsense out there like grain brain and wheat belly. And, oh, yeah. You know, I was in, I was in the bookstore today. There was this book of something about how, you know, cholesterol is good for you by a guy named Stefan Sinatra. Oh, boy. MD. I went and looked this picture up. The guy is very fat. <laughs> I'm being kind. And, you know, these gurus <clears throat> for the low-carb movement are fat, sick people by and large. I believe, I know. When are they going to start believing you? No, no. What I want to know is when are the public going to open their eyes and look at the, look at their gurus yeah. and say other than, well, they, they look just like me, so I guess I'm doing okay. Yeah. Instead, <laughs> maybe they would say, you know, I think there's a problem with Atkins being, well, he's, not, he's dead now. Yeah. But, you know, he was 60 pounds overweight and right. wheat belly guy, Davis being, I would guess, I, I don't know, I can't keep track of his pictures, but I'd guess 40 to 60 pounds overweight. You yeah. know, the Sinatra guy I looked at today, I, if, if the Google images are any representation, the guy's got to be 40, 50 pounds overweight. Excuse me, Sally Fallon from Weston Price, yeah. she's got to be 40, 50 pounds overweight promoting meat. Uh, Lauren Cordain, the paleo diet looks... To me, when I see him uh, in, in a YouTube or uh, in a picture, I think the guy's, how's he ever going ever gonna to make it off stage? He looks so sick. Yeah. And, and well, why did you get me on that topic, Age? I'm sorry. Well, you know, I, I had dinner with the, the guy that wrote Grain Brain once, David Perlmutter, unfortunately. You know, he's an exception. He's, he's one not overweight. Prim- he's, he's, he's not overweight, is he? No. He's the but, only- you know, I interviewed that man, and you will find the interview, the radio I did, interview I did on my website. David wow. I interviewed him about 20 years ago for my radio show. I can't and wait to hear that. He was, he, was, uh, he was talking a different story. There are rumors that this guy eats a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. There are rumors. Well, when I had dinner with him at Rancho La Puerta, where we were in Mexico, we yeah. were both speakers, I ordered in Spanish greens, steamed greens, and I said, no oil, I'm highly allergic. And he said yeah. to me, he goes, he goes, why don't you eat oil? And I said, because it's diabetogenic, atherogenic, and obesogenic. And yeah. he said, well, I'm David Perlmutter, the author of Grain Brain, and you're killing yourself. He said, yeah. what's your cholesterol? I said, it's 99 milligrams per deciliter. He goes, well, oh, you're going to have Alzheimer's or heart disease. Yeah. Then he got his greens, which had oil, and then he asked for extra oil and put them on his greens. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. So, I, I have, I have uh, if you want to look at what I think of wheat belly and grain brain, <clears throat> the misinformation, the false associations, the downright, well, let's just just read my January 2014 newsletter. Absolutely. In fact, my January 2014 newsletter was just was just cited in a uh, article published in the Medical Journal about the silliness of uh, of grain brain and yep. similar diets. Oh, by the way, speaking of getting published in medical journals, uh, tomorrow or the next day, I think it is. I don't know. I, I don't want to give you an exact date, but in within not too many hours, uh, the results of 1,615 of our patients will be published in the Journal of Nutrition. It's coming that, out. In a, that's, yeah. Congr- and, congratulations. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that. It was Caldwell Esselstyn who kept encouraging me. He says, "Come on, come on, John. You gotta, you gotta put down the results of your patients." Yeah. So, 
it took us about three years to collect the data and to get a journal to publish it. And uh, the major journals, by the way, AJ, would not accept it. Uh, wow. I don't know. I, I don't know why we submitted it to the big ones, of course, because yeah. you know, that's where we wanted to get published. I really didn't think they would publish it, and of course, my suspicions were confirmed. <clears throat> but uh, I would think a, a journal like JAMA or the New England Journal of Medicine or British Medical Journal, just just to show penance, just to just to ask for some forgiveness for publishing the garbage they published about low carb diets, they would have published our article. You know, the lies, uh, the, the false associations, the millions of people that these journals have sickened by uh, giving a favorable nod to low-carb diets, and they've done it over and over and over again. Of course, they've published the other point of view, too, right. <clears throat> but they should know better. I mean, the, the scientists, editors, medical doctors should know better than to publish journal articles that would lead people to eat more meat, more dairy, more oil, more pork chops. I mean, just insanity. But mm-hmm. that's what's going on. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. When when were you overweight, and how overweight were you? Uh, my top, as I remember it, I know I was over. Uh, I got a wedding picture uh, with Mary where I was at least two hundred pounds. You're but kidding? Think, no, no. I think I, I think I topped out about two twenty eight. Well, could you? Because sh- you're like you're like one sixty now, right? Uh, I'm one. Yeah, I'm less than one sixty now. Well, could you show us your fat picture? Because nobody believes. No, I don't think I. The only fat one I have is my wedding picture, and I was only about two hundred pounds then with sideburns. Wow. Two hundred pounds with sideburns. You were still <laughs> handsome. I saw. I saw a picture of you in college. You were still quite handsome. So, you know. So what about? We talked a little bit about thyroid. They're asking about iodine because they're saying a lot of vegans are deficient in iodine, and how do you so. get iodine if you don't eat salt? I, I don't think uh, vegans are deficient in iodine. I, I you know, I, I'm a regular practicing doctor. Maybe I'm just not looking for it, but I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I'm pretty well studied in the history of iodine deficiency, and it occurs in Africa still today, and it occurred in the Great Lakes area back about 100 years ago. When people eat from an, uh, a very isolated uh, geography, they eat, they get all their food from, say, 25 miles of their village. Under those circumstances, you can eat a diet because it's locally grown that may be deficient in iodine's possibility, mm. maybe maybe selenium, but that's about it. Those are the only two minerals I can think of that have been reported as a deficiency from deficient soils. But we don't eat locally. If you go to the store today, you go to Safeway or Whole Foods, you'll get corn from Iowa and bananas from Panama and yeah you know it, it just you the the array of minerals provided by the great variety of food that people eat makes it in all practical terms not a not a problem these days so we don't have to seek we don't have to seek out certain nutrients through special foods or supplements well not only do we not have to it's a dangerous thing to do to right. take supplements uh, we could get into that discussion but the the main thing is <clears throat> Is uh, I uh, well again. I don't see. I don't see reported in the literature. I don't see my journals that are supposed to make me aware as a doctor of the problems patients are having. I don't see anybody sending up flags that uh, our population is suffering from iodine deficiency, mm-hmm. either as a few or many people. Okay. I, I don't see it. I guess that what they were saying because they didn't eat salt. They were concerned. And, well, you know, salt naturally doesn't, except for sea salt. 
Yeah, right. Uh, brown salt naturally does not contain iodine. They have to add it to it. Sure, sure. So you, you might as well, if you're concerned about mineral deficiencies, you'd be better off taking a mineral supplement. But I don't think that's a very good idea either. Yep. So this was an interesting question, and because I'm, I'm going to ask it because I've never heard it. Um, the, the the listener writes: All the starch-based populations seem to be quite short. For example, rice eaters in Asia, potato eaters in Peru, corn eaters in Mexico, etc. I've noticed that when an immigrant family moves to the United States, the children born and raised here are much taller than those who were born and subsisted on their native diets. Is this just my imagination, or no, is it? I, I think it's. I think it's a. It's a true observation. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, first, let me qualify. If you if you uh, desire to have big children, you've met. Some of my children, I think, AJ. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, uh, all, all our kids are actually bigger than we are. If you want to have kids of big size, or that that's the outcome, uh, you know, that happens. The reason bigness happens is because of calorie sufficiency uh, at puberty. Uh, during those growth years, if the uh, if the diet of the child, whether it be from China or Africa or wherever, if it's sufficient, abundant in calories, then the children will grow bigger. Mm-hmm. Okay, that said, uh, the populations that you're mentioning were, you know, traditionally populations that are, were rather marginal in the amount of food available. Uh, but granted, I think people were smaller. You know, I go to museums and I see these armors of knights from old, and they're about four feet to five feet tall, and you go visit George Washington's bed, you know, in a museum. I remember seeing that, and that wasn't a very big bed. Yeah, I think people used to be smaller uh, before all of this huge amount of rich food became available. Uh, they, but the question, the question that the listener should be asking, is it good to be so big? In our society, we say it's good to be big. You know, that's the value we place on it. However, when you look at the statistics about what big really means, and I'm not talking about fat, I'm talking about tall. Tall women have four times the risk of dying of breast cancer as short women. Interesting. Tall people people have a higher risk of heart disease, colon cancer. Bigger people, and I'm talking about tall, they have shorter lifespans than short. Wow. Yes. So even though we make that association in our society that big is better, that is not necessarily so. I could better argue, especially if I look out through through all of the history that I can account for, I can I can more successfully argue that people of our Western society are abnormally big. We're we're over enlarged in size, not just not just fatness. Everybody recognizes that three quarters of the people are fat or obese. I'm talking yeah. about too tall. People are wow too tall for what the human being was designed to be. But, I know that's a tough one for you folks. Right, but, but we can't consider, we, we can't consider the fact that. That I just gave you about aging, cancer, and heart right. disease. Look at it's look it up. It's easy to available. But, shorter but, people do better. But we can't we can't really change our height the way we can change our weight. And what do you consider tall for a woman and tall for a man? Oh, I, I you know, I, AJ, I haven't even explored that. Okay. That, that, that's well beyond anything I've ever thought of. You you put it out there, so you know. Well, I'm, I gave you the best answer I had. I think you ought to rethink being big as a desirable thing. Big well, people. Wait a minute. Big people, including tall, big in any measure, they cost more money. It costs more to feed them. 
It costs more to transport them. They're just more expensive. I think they may be a relic for the future. <gasps> so, uh, if so you're should... big, you may be in trouble for the future. Think about it. So we should uh, all... You're going places we shouldn't go. We should all l- listen to that Randy Newman song, Short People, and look to marry short people from now on. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. So um, believe it or not, a lot of people asked the question about your diet being too low in fat. They said, how low is too low? Isn't 5% too low? Does not our brain need fat? And I guess they can't believe that you can just eat fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes and not even have any nut seeds, avocado, or even that obligatory tablespoon or two of flax mm-hmm. or chia. People are afraid not to have that. Those omega- I don't know why. Most of the people out there that are afraid not to have it are, they, they, most of them that are that are saying that, I would just guess from statistics, at least three quarter of them, quarters of them, they have so much fat stored up, they could last two or three lifetimes with no yeah. fat added to their diet. They've got so yeah. much fat, so much essential fat stored in their butt and abdomen and thighs. Right. You, know, you have no worries, ladies and gentlemen. You've got it all there for for two or three lifetimes. <laughs> But, but but just to get back to the uh, seriousness of your, of your question, uh, rice, 5% of the calories are fat. Yeah. You know, oranges are 4% fat. Wow. Uh, oatmeal is about 16% fat. Uh, fat is abundant. Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can grow, there, there are even feed animals that live without eating oil. Can you believe cows and pigs get fat without eating oil? No, maybe how? they for, maybe they force feed them with oil these days. And they get the farmers would do anything to make money. I would guess. Yep. No, I don't think they do, but uh, not my expertise. Maybe somebody could correct us there. And they get fat without drinking milk. Yeah, there's people who ask that question about can you live without oil. Used to be asking, can you live without meat? Mm-hmm. Can you live without milk? I mean, they used to ask the same questions. They're the same questions that I used to ask. Myself, I came from the same uh, from the same world of ignorance that the rest of the listeners came from. Right. Uh, once you get enlightened, once you see it, uh, once you know, if you take the trouble to look at the scientific research, then um, you know, then then you see that everything kind of fits together. All your religious teachings, all of history, all of geography, you know, all the animal rights issues, all the environmental issues. It's not like there's an outlier, AJ. You know, if there was some kind of outlier in what were, what was being recommended, like, for example, if you eat a diet that prevents heart disease, you'll get constipated. Then you say, well, there must be something wrong here. Uh-huh. You know, if you eat a diet that uh, cures type 2 diabetes, then you must get high blood pressure. There's something wrong here. You know, the same diet that makes your bowels move, makes you move, you know, makes your body look good, you know, makes the environment happy. It's 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 all the same message. There is yeah. no outlier found in this argument, except B12. But don't let's not go there, okay, tonight. Right, we won't go there. Well, let's talk about something that's more uplifting and fun, because a lot of you always say, you know, your one of your taglines, it's the food. And believe it or not, the third most popular question after thyroid, Ebola, and Ebola was. What do you eat? What do you eat for breakfast? Do you think we have to eat breakfast even if we're not hungry? What does Dr. McDougal like to drink? What is Dr. McDougal's favorite food? People want to know what you eat and drink. Personally, you know, Mary and I eat very simple foods. Uh, We had last night, we had rice and beans that she made in a crock pot. Every morning for breakfast, we had the same thing. Seriously. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It has been the the same for probably two or three years. There was a time when we used to have just hash brown potatoes for breakfast. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, these days what we have is uh, Mary makes oatmeal, 
and she puts blueberries on the oatmeal. That's what we have every morning. She has a little brown sugar on hers. I'm much better than she is. <laughs> I don't. You know, I, I, that's what we have every morning for breakfast. For lunchtime, we usually have leftovers, and for dinner, we'll have, you know, sweet potatoes and broccoli, beans and rice. Beans and rice, I bet we have three times wow. a week. Wow. And some, you know, those are the kind of things that we eat. And then we eat at the program a lot because mm-hmm. we're, we're busy working. And then we have about, let's see, 15 course meals three times a day for 10 days. So we have about, you know, like five or 400 different things. Wow. <clears throat> anyway, uh, our diet is quite simple at home. You should, if for to succeed, any of the people out there that are struggling, you have to get over this idea that you need this great variation in diet. Oh, I uh, especially, agree. Especially if you're struggling with diseases or being struggling, overweight. Yeah, struggling with weight. I say the same thing, that variety is the kiss of death. It, 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 it makes no sense at all, and if you're getting a lot of variety, then you're probably eating out. Yeah. You know, you're probably not doing what you're supposed to do because you wouldn't have the time to fix all that variety if you were doing it yourself like you're supposed to. You'd only have time to make you know, a crock pot of beans and maybe cook uh, in the microwave some brown rice that you bought at Whole Foods already cooked. You know, it, it just make it simple. Right. So we have, you know, we do. We have sweet potatoes, and Mary will make some kind of green along with it. And we have rice and beans and maybe a little kale. I hate to mention that kale word. Uh, we'll have, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, can't, uh, I can't believe you said the K word. I said the K word. I actually, when I talked last weekend <clears throat> at uh, Jeff Nelson's uh, event, which is a great event. You guys should try and make it. It's in Los Angeles every year. And, of course, Wait, you've got a great event coming up in a couple right. weeks. We forgot to mention that Dr. McDougal is going to be our keynote speaker at Healthy Taste of L.A. this Sunday, November 2nd, 2nd, a private dinner with him the night before on the 1st. You can get your tickets at www.healthytasteofla.com. We've been trying to get him to this event for five years. We know this is going to be our best event ever because we're having you here. So thank you so much for, for coming. Oh, well, it's I look forward to it. Mary and I are looking forward to the weekend with you. What I was going to mention is I was at Jeff Nelson's thing, and and Ann Esselstyn and S. Esselstyn had just talked before. Of course, uh, well, I don't know. I just saw Ann with a bag full of kale when she was leading the conference. (laughs) But I I made this big point. There are a lot of people out there, and uh, the Esselstyns recommend lots of greens, and uh, Campbell, people recommend lots of greens. But I, I'm kind of the the counter on that in the sense that I know you can't live on greens. Right. So I, I've got to tell you, look, take it easy on the kale. Take it easy on the broccoli. Take it easy on the asparagus. You're not going to live on cabbage. You don't have enough time in the day to live on lettuce. You, you It's just too calorie dilute. Right. You need to have the starch to give you satisfaction. Right. Anyway. Uh, I, I can't overemphasize, of course, I, I can't overemphasize, I named the last book, The Starch Solution, the importance <laughs> of getting the rice. Consider, you know, 30 years ago, the diet of the Asian, 90% of it came from rice, white rice at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these were very successful people. They almost beat us in World War II, and they did beat us in Vietnam. You know, I mean, these are strong, hardy beautiful people with that didn't didn't used to have any obesity or type 2 diabetes which by the way are two diseases that are rampant in Asia right now right they didn't used to be they they reported last year in the journal of the American Medical Association that 
12% of the Chinese are diabetic, type 2 diabetic, wow. and half of them are pre-diabetic. And before 1980, fewer than 1% of the population had diabetes. What happened in the last 34 years? McDonald's? Well, th- that, that not just McDonald's. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many fast food restaurants there, but I can guess there are many. But there are, the Chinese are among the richest people on the planet. And it wow. shows you, we don't have to, with all our wealth and all our technology, you know, improve sanitation, nice housing, transportation, et cetera, with all the good things that come, can come from technology in a good economy, we don't have to take the bad things. We don't have to take the obesity and the diabetes and the gout and the heart disease and the cancers. We don't have to accept that into our lives. Anyway. When did when did things like rice and potatoes become so vilified? I mean, these are foods my grandfather ate, and that, that's... I don't know. I know. I don't know. Hopefully, it's hopefully it's, the sanity is going to swing back, yep. AJ. Um, yeah. Just the, if if most days I can see through the cloud, the cloud is that when you read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, or you see the front cover of Time magazine, you see advertisements from, for industry, intentionally or not. You know, eat butter, the experts were all wrong, is right. the cover of Time magazine in June. Or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times telling us that, uh, you know, all the experts of the past were wrong, and you shouldn't eat any starch, shouldn't eat wheat, you should live on meat and dairy. And sometimes, sometimes it when those things come out, and they come out all over the place, every place, I go, you know what? We can't possibly be making any progress. And then yes. and then my sanity comes back, and I see that the truth really is there, and it's growing. There are people who are understanding. Look at everybody knows the word vegan now, and it's, it's not unusual to, ha- to know a vegan, you know, to even have one as a friend. Uh, it- so <laughs> underlying all of this publicity that uh, seems to indicate the world of science and medicine has gone mad. Underneath that is truth, uh, and our people who are sensible, reasonable, and have acted upon old wisdom and, and modern wisdom and have not allowed themselves and their families to be destroyed. It must be so frustrating for you at times because you've known this truth, the truth, for 40 years, and you've been shouting it from the rooftops. And it's sort of like, you know, you were the guy way back when that was telling everybody the world was round when everybody believed it was flat. And I just don't know how you how you cope with the fact that you know you're right, and, you know, by the time you die, I don't know if people are really going to well, believe the message. AJ, I went through this before when I was a young man. Uh, I, I, uh, my mentors were Dennis Burkett, who was a, a surgeon from uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, who trained in Africa and uh, or didn't train, he practiced in Africa for 17 years. He was the head of ministries of health, took care of 10 million people in Uganda, Africa, wow. and noticed that nobody had gallbladder disease or heart disease right. or breast cancer. Because they ate so a lot of fiber, yeah. Yeah, because they lived on the kind of diet you and I eat. Sure. No dairy, almost no meat at all. They ate, and all starches, vegetables, and fruits. And I also, I also had the opportunity to learn from uh, probably the greatest communicator of of the 20th century, and that was Nathan Pritikin. Mm-hmm. He knew all, all the things. As a matter of fact, I took, made a special point 
of having my son, Craig McDougall, who's a medical doctor, sit down and watch Nathan Pritikin's interview that I did to him, I don't know, back in the uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. It's, it's in my February 2013 newsletter. How do you remember all this? Which well, news- because it takes me a week to two weeks to write every newsletter. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, my, my January 2013 newsletter is an interview I did with Dennis Burkett. My uh, February 2013 newsletter is an interview I did with uh, with Nathan Pritikin. The only interviews, by the way, that exist of these two men that I'm aware of, uh, that were ever only video interviews ever that ever existed. And my December 2013 newsletter also honors my third mentor, which is a fellow named Walter Kempner who is uh, the founder of the Rice Diet. Right. You know, my brother, my brother who died of pancreatic cancer, who was an obese physician with diabetes, actually went to Duke and did that oh. Rice Diet. Yeah. Well, Kempner was, was the main medical person in my career. He was, uh, he was a medical doctor. Pritikin was, wasn't. Uh, Burkett was a medical doctor. But uh, uh, Walter Kempner actually practiced medicine, similar to what I do. And one of the greatest honors that I ever received recently was two of his protégés, uh, Robert Rosati and Francis Nealon, who, tr- who worked with Kempner for many, many years. Uh, they, they came and they lectured at my advanced study weekend, and they saw my practice and so on. We've known each other for a long time. But one of the comments that I think it was Francis Nealon, medical doctor, made to me, he says, you know, he says, I've never seen anybody take people off medication like you do other than Walter Kempner. He wow. said, you know, we were always afraid to stop their blood pressure diabetes pills, Dr. Rosati and I were. And when I, when they, when I heard afraid, I'm, I don't know what level they felt it, but they were much more hesitant to stop diabetic and blood pressure and other kinds of medications than I am. And, uh, and when they said, Walter Kempner, he used to act just like you do, McDougall. The patient would come in, he'd tell them, stop all those drugs and get on with this. <laughs> and I don't do exactly that, but but pretty close. You you can't take people who who are on all these medications and get them well and not do something about their drugs. They've got to right. not all medicines, but they have to stop. Maybe let's see. I think in the paper that's coming out that we're publishing tomorrow, maybe the next day, in the journal Nutrition. Hopefully, it gets some attention. But it lists the number of people that we took off blood pressure and diabetic pills. It was like 70 to 80 percent took off their medications. Do you believe, though, because that's one of the questions. Somebody said they're doing your diet and their their numbers are dropping. But do you think it's best done with the help of a physician that they should be going off these meds, not just doing it themselves? Oh, of course. Yeah, that's yeah. always the party line. But you know something, AJ? A lot of people can't get help from their doctors. Yeah, and that's the that's the sad thing is and and it's and it's not because their doctors don't want to help them, it's just the doctors don't know how to. They've never yeah. taken anybody off medication. Right. Uh, if you go in and see a physician, and, and I bet I'd be right ninety eight percent of the time, and you ask a general doctor, an internist, family practitioner, do you take people off medication? I mean, when somebody has blood pressure, or when's the last time you took somebody with diabetes off medication? They may change brands. Yeah. Uh, they may up the dose, but they never take anybody off for, for, for a couple of reasons. One, they don't know how, and they don't really, even though they hear how destructive these medicines are, they don't believe it. They don't think anybody would lie to them. I mean, you can lie to patients, but nobody would lie to medical doctors. 
so they don't they don't really understand how destructive and how ineffective these drugs are. They wouldn't prescribe them. Right. And uh, second of all, they don't know what to tell them as an alternative. They don't know how to tell them to be healthy. Uh, doctors, doctors, again, I, I, I'm speaking to 98-plus percent of the doctors out there have never seen a patient get healthy, certainly under their direction. And it must be very hard for doctors to go to work every day. Sure. Those kind of results of never helping a patient get healthier and seeing the horrible adverse effects of the surgeries and the drugs that they're prescribing. It's just... Uh, it's, it's madness is what it is. Well, it's, it's, it's sad for the doctors, too. It's not right. just sad for the patients. Here are yeah. men and women who have uh, dedicated themselves to helping other people, and they've given, been given tools for chronic disease, which are useless and destructive for chronic disease. And I can make that statement... Uh, as a generalization that includes almost every illness that I can think of that's a chronic disorder, they never get better. Yeah. Speaking of chronic disorders, I'm going to lump this all into one question because a lot of people right. wrote about their disorder. Plus, plus i got to get going here pretty quick, you know. Oh, oh, oh. how much more time do we have? Well, uh, go ahead. Okay, well, gosh, uh, I don't know which question to ask then because I, I want to end on a really good one. Oh, let me just really quickly. I promise you I did not uh, submit this question, but it was when oh, is Oh, give AJ, me the tough ones, AJ. Well, okay, when is AJ going to speak at a McDougal Advanced Study Weekend? <laughs> I well, did she, not. She has on two occasions, but go ahead. Okay, all right. So, okay, so, gosh, oh, my God, there's one about mammography. There's one about eating for conditions like gastritis, scleroderma, cancer, end-stage renal disease, and lipidemia. And if you can do this diet if you've had gastric bypass, take your pick. Well, let's see. Uh, let's see. Michael, what is Michael's last name? I think it's Mike Wilson. Mm-hmm. He's a star McDougaler uh, under my uh, uh, star McDougaler success stories on my website. Mike Wilson's his name. He lost like 260 pounds. Mm-hmm. He had had gastric bypass surgery. This is 30 years ago, by the way. Wow. Uh, it's a great story. He had gastric bypass. It didn't work. He didn't uh, lose the weight. So anyway, you can read the story. I wrote it several years ago. Mike Wilson. And he lost 260 pounds when he changed his diet. Um, as far as mammography, next month I'm having Peter Gortsky. Excuse me. It's Peter Gortsky. I got to get his name. Peter Gortsky is the head of the Cochrane Collaboration, which is the most respected uh, scientific review body in the entire world. It consists of 28,000 volunteers, the Cochrane Collaboration does. And they uh, they make opinions on all kinds of things. There's just one that came out today that I saw. Anyway, they'll make opinions on uh, cancer chemotherapy treatments, treatments of head lice, you know, all kinds of things. They'll make, uh, uh, they'll make their opinion known about oh it was about cholesterol medication cocker came out with some pretty harsh words about using statin drugs today anyway uh when cochran speaks everybody listens well peter gordsky is going to be a guest at our professional weekend which is november 7th through 9 where uh you know anybody can come to the professional weekend but we're giving cme credit and ceu credit and gearing it towards doctors and dietitians and pharmacists, et cetera. But the point I'm trying to make is Peter Gortsky is going to be the only outside guest for this weekend. Peter Gortsky is the head of the Cochrane Collaboration. He is uh, the one professional that I uh, would like to meet over anybody else, and he accepted an invitation to speak at our weekend, which leads 
to the answer to your question is Peter Gordsky in the Cochrane Collaboration came out in 2012 and recommended that women no longer get mammograms done. They sent out brochures in 13 languages encouraging women to not get mammography. This will be a thing of the past in a year or two for the United States. I believe the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, which is the most respected body in the U.S., will likewise rule against mammograms as seriously as Cochrane has. Uh, it'll be like PSA testing in men, which is any well-informed man or physician realizes that this is this leads to butchery, uh-huh. PSA testing and for prostate cancer, and should not be done. Of course, urologists know something no different, but other people know that this is a very dangerous test. I think you will see soon in the U.S. similar recommendations for mammograms to not get them done coming from the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. They already come from Cochrane. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force already tells doctors to not teach women to do breast self-examination. Wow. As does every other major organization. People just aren't aware of this. Is it okay if we have our husbands do the breast exam? You know, <laughs> that's a good note to end on. <laughs> okay. I've met, I've met Charles, and, and he's a he's a decent guy. <laughs> oh, darn. Right. I hope you'll come on again next year, Dr. McDougal, because there were so many questions. You know, AJ, any any time you want, we can do some time together. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. You always bring out you always bring out the different in me. <laughs> well, listen, if you guys have more questions for Dr. McDougal, then you're just going to have to come to Healthy Taste of L.A. on November 2nd. Thank you so much for listening. And, Dr. McDougal, thank you so much a pleasure. for being on Bye-bye. the call. Thank you. This is Chef AJ at www.eatunprocessed.com. Please consider signing up for my mailing list so that you can be notified in advance who the speakers are so that you can submit your questions in advance because we do uh, ask them in the order that they were received. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, I'm Chef AJ, and I make healthy taste delicious.